Our scripture readings for this evening are from Isaiah and Luke. First will be in Isaiah 61. This is the very word of God. Let's give heed to it. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, the prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And then Luke 4, 1 through 21. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Please join me in prayer. Oh Lord, indeed, um, I feel in many ways uh, intellectually inadequate to tackle this subject. I pray that my shortcomings would not be an obstacle at all, but that which I can grasp onto fully will be what is portrayed and explained from your word. Lord, that what you have for us tonight would be granted and received all by your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would bless this time, send forth your word with power so that we might grow according to your will and the knowledge of our Savior in the knowledge of our Lord, and in the obedience to Him in our lives. And this I ask, in Jesus' name, Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're not going to go verse by verse through, uh, through that passage in Luke, um, by the way. Um, you know, at the end of that passage in Luke 4, um, when, uh, when Jesus says, today this, you know, this is fulfilled in your hearing, that's got to be like one of the shortest, if not the shortest sermons ever, right? Well, um, don't expect that. <laughs> um, you guys know me well enough not to expect that from me. What I'm going to try uh, to communicate tonight is, is this uh, difference and yet similarity of the Lord's work in the Father's name while He was on this earth um, and, and ours in His name while we are on the earth. And this has been... Um, this topic, at least, has been nearer to the forefront of my heart and my mind for some time now, and I, I felt it appropriate to uh, preach on the Holy Spirit, also given what uh, Pastor Dorman is, is doing on Sunday nights. So, anyway, this this truth that we will see tonight is um, liberating. Um, it's enabling. It is for us that we might please God. And that's what I hope we see. So before we get into Luke chapter 4, you guys remember the scene in the, the book of Acts and Acts chapter 1 before Jesus ascends where he tells his disciples that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if we could all turn to Acts chapter 1 
And we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Acts 1, verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This most probably is a familiar passage to most of us. Um, The baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples in order that they might be witnesses of Jesus where they are and for it to spread in accordance with um, what we label the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, right? And I believe that when we see verse uh, 5, when Jesus says you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then when we see in verse 8 that he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, I think that these two phrases are meant to describe the same thing. Baptized with and come upon. And when this happens, when one receives this power, and, and mind you, this power from the Holy Spirit has an intention... It is that we are supposed to be witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ from where we are, if we are going to put ourselves in the place of the disciples, because I wouldn't say so literally that, oh man, we're in Limington when we should be in Jerusalem, <laughs> right? So we can, we can draw that line. Limington or, or Standish for me or where I live, Portland where I work. Right. You see from your locality and then and then let it spread. And that's what the whole church should do. But not in your own strength, not in your own ability of any sort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Such is the church's mission. What does it mean to be a witness to Jesus? Like it says in Acts one here, um, Well, there's a threefold definition, and all are applicable. Uh, One is to be a witness to Jesus as one who testifies regarding what they have seen. Right? We are not called to witness of something that we have not seen ourselves. And just that alone takes a huge burden off, doesn't it? Where I feel like um, the pressure could always be there for us to know more and say more and have a deeper understanding and I wish I had seen more and well those are just uh, worthless thoughts in the moment yes it is good for us to want to grow and 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 become closer to God and have a deeper knowledge of him and have him use us in this world Right. Always being ones who grow in Jesus and and are sanctified more and more. But in the moment, all we can do is testify of what we have experienced ourselves. And that's all we're required to do. 
one who testifies regarding what they have seen. Um, to be a witness of Jesus is, is also to be able to see in the present. We can witness God work. And then also, that word witness is, is the word that we get martyr from, where we would say, and this is how I will define it, that a martyr is one who is, by the grace of God, to, committed to him. And, and just like John says in, in his epistle, we um, love God because he first loved us. I'd say the same thing here. We are committed to God because he's committed to us. It's the same thing. So in the grace of God, our commitments to him, to live for him, has, has no bounds, even unto death. So a martyr isn't necessarily one who would lay their life down, or I'm sorry, who, who uh, does lay their life down, but a martyr is one who is willing to, and God knows. Willing to, to live a life of obedience no matter the cost, just like, just like Paul teaches us, where he counts everything rubbish for the sake of Christ. So as we speak of the things that we see and we know of Jesus and as we live the same unto death of any sort, because many things might need to die in our walk for the good of somebody else, it might not just be that ultimate where our lives are required of us, lives in as our last breath, but we might be called to, to let many things die, things we own, people we know. Um, uh, positions that we have attained, whatever it might be, we should be able to let all things be rubbish for the sake of Jesus. So, as we are witnesses of Him, we have we have more than actually, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight. We have more than this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus tells the disciples before his ascension, we have also the very example of God the Son, Jesus Christ, the God-man. We have him as our example in what we are to do as martyrs, as witnesses. Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 and 2 says this, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So Jesus is our example. There are many passages which we could go to. I picked two specifically um, uh, three, actually, but two right now. The second is first. So that was Ephesians five. The second is first John two, verse six. He who says he abides in him. Ought himself to walk just as he walked. And so I'm going to try to draw this distinction and and. I am um, in humility prayed about my inadequacies because speaking regarding 
the exact fullness of understanding of the way the natures of Jesus as a man and as God exist, I, I have uh, reason to pause and be careful because I don't want to misrepresent my God. Um, it's such a mystery that no man has ever been able to explain it fully, and I dare not say I would. Nonetheless, when we have Jesus our, as our example, because we see that Paul says here, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up. Uh, and then we see John say, if you say you abide in him, you ought to walk just as he walked. And so here's the question I would like to pose. How did Jesus walk? Right? Was, was Jesus on this earth in all of his all of his teaching and all of his healing and all of his casting out of demons and even bringing the dead to life. And all of his miracles, walking on the water, changing the water at the wedding to wine, his first miracle. And everything that he did, did Jesus do all of these things as God the Son in his divinity? Well, of course Jesus would do that. Of course of course, Jesus could see things that weren't in front of him. Of course, Jesus knew things. He's omniscient, right? Yes. Omniscient, omnipotent. It's everything. We know that from Philippians chapter 2. He did not consider it robbery to be called equal with God. He is God. But, I feel like we as people, could be prone to say things like, well, look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at his life. It was fantastic. It was amazing. It is beyond what we could ever hope that God would do through his church because, duh, he's God. And I say, and don't worry, I'm going to show you what Jesus says, because if I just stop there, listen to what I say, then, um, Travis, you should cut, cut the stream and we should all go home. <laughs> um, I say that Jesus is our example in his humanity. Here's the point tonight. Jesus, in his humanity, is our example to follow. And that's why we read Luke 4. Um, and we'll get there. And also, we're going to go back to Luke 3 for a few verses. In Matthew 16, 24, and here, here's a third uh, passage regarding Jesus being our example or how we are to follow him. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you see the connection between Jesus, who is our example. He says, follow me. And then our martyrdom for him, take up your cross. Okay. Now, remember earlier when I referenced the fact that um, our witnessing of Jesus has to be that our lives um, are, well, on the altar unto death of any sort. And what I meant with that is 
when, you, when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, he's not saying um, we should only be ready to lay down our lives as he did. What he's saying is that included we should never have lines that we draw when it comes to God using us for the good of someone else, particularly in their salvation or their experiencing salvation, even as a child of God. Everything is on the chopping block. Wasn't it for him? That's our example. We can never say, well, it's funny, the, that meatloaf song comes to mind. <laughs> I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, says no Christian. Right? If we say that we love God and therefore we love the brethren and we love our enemy and the lost, then we always have our cross and we're ready to lay anything down in his will. That's what that's talking about. We're always ready to be a martyr, a witness of Jesus in any regard. So I think we could say you must be a martyr for Jesus to follow Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? You must be a martyr. And again, I'm not saying like, oh, think about somebody in the, you know, the uh, tribes of the Amazon. You know, when I say martyr, like, let's just stay in the confines of these walls and say that that's fine because that's what God expects. In order for you to follow Jesus, we must be martyrs. Isn't that, we heard, isn't that what we heard from 1 John 2, 6? If you abide, then you will imitate. So, so how does Jesus, how did Jesus minister in his Father's name? Um, we should know that. If we're to imitate him, if we are to walk just as he walked, if we are to love just as he loved, how did he minister in his Father's name so that we might know how to minister in his name? So would you please turn with me to John chapter 12. And starting in verse 44, we'll read through verse 50. It's the end of the chapter. So here's John 12, 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. And therein lies the clear inseparability of the Father and the Son. And yes, I would add the Holy Spirit of our triune God. None can say, I have this person, but I don't have these two. Or I have these two and I don't have one. Come up with a combination that you'd like. There is no way that one who has been given life by the unique life giver could ever deny him in any way. That's what Jesus is saying. We know what he said in John chapter 14, that he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Continuing here in verse 47, it says, this is Jesus still speaking, and if anyone hears my words 
and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And here's our key verse regarding the topic this evening. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. We say, that's interesting. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, what do you mean? What's he talking about? Right? And herein we need to see this distinction between God the Son and the God-man. Ah, I don't even want to say that. There's no distinction in person. There's distinction in nature. For they are one, and I don't say they as if there's two. You guys see what I'm talking about here? Right. Like, <laughs> stick with me. Thank you guys for loving me. <laughs> Jesus in his emptying of himself to become a man, a servant, unto the point of death, did so fully and completely in order that we might look at his life and not say things like, well, of course Jesus is going to preach the gospel perfectly because he knows the scripture back and front because he is the word of God. Right? Wrong. I mean, he is the word of God. But Jesus only spoke that which he heard from the Father. And there I say, oh, so by the will of God for Jesus, the God-man, to not say anything except that which he received from above, therein we have our example so we can do the same. Okay. All right. I'm digging this, right? Let's go and look back a few chapters to John chapter 5. So in John chapter 5, we see that on the Sabbath day, Jesus heals a man by the pool of Bethsaida. And of course, as is the norm in his, his public ministry life, he is given flack by the religious leaders of the day. If you go down um, to uh, verse 17... Jesus is answering uh, their um, pushing against what he is doing. He's answering against their evil hearts. And he says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Verse 18, John 5. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And then let's, let's read all the way down to verse 30. But here in verse 19, and then also at the end of this passage in verse 30, we'll see two more very important 
things that the Lord tells us. So Jesus answered and said to them, this is 19, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but whatever he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very similar line of thinking, right, from John 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Verse 30. I can do I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So from John 12, we see that Jesus only speaks, or remember our, our uh, language from Acts chapter 1, testifies, witnesses. Jesus only witnesses of what he hears. In John chapter 5, he heals this man on the Sabbath, and we see that he, what he sees, what he witnesses, um, is what he does. And he sets up no room for leaving those parameters. And just as in verse 30 of John 5, Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous. It's the Father's will, not even His own, that He seeks. So too, He says the same thing to us as branches in the vine taken care of by the vine dresser. In John 15, He says to us, without Me, you can do nothing. So see, all these parallels. Jesus was the same with His Father. So how can this be? How can Jesus not say or do anything unless he receives it, sees it, hears it from his Father? Well, the Holy Spirit. The Son of Man was filled with the Holy Spirit that he might now hear from God the Father, receive from him, so he might speak that which he hears, so that he might do that which he sees. And mind you, Jesus did so perfectly. So, 
The answer, how does this happen? How can this be? Is that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit as the Son of Man. So, let's go and look at that passage in Philippians, which I referenced. Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to read the three verses, 6 through 8. Philippians 2, this is Christ Jesus says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, it was appropriate. It would not have been something inappropriate for Jesus to be considered equal with God. And even in that case, as God, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, or in other words, other translations say he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Part of Jesus um, becoming like us and dying for us is that the work would all be accomplished from a standpoint of emptiness, that of a man who would be filled with the Holy Spirit, obeying his Father. And this was our example. It was not just for show what we read in Luke chapter 4. And so we're going to go there and we're going to wrap it up. Here is our example. So in Luke, our New Testament passage this evening, before we hit on these key verses. So it's like I said in Luke chapter 3 and 4. If you turn to 3, verse 21, this is the baptism of Jesus. Um, what separates in, in Luke's account the baptism uh, and the temptation is the genealogy that Luke gives, which is different from the one that Matthew gives. One is uh, through Mary, the other is through Joseph, um, both proving that Jesus is the rightful king. So here is the account of Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, chapter 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and so forth, right? And then we get into Luke chapter 4, verse 1. We see that then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And we won't talk about that occurrence tonight. For time's sake. Nonetheless, now that we know what Jesus explained regarding his relationship with the Father, we see it working out here very practically. That everything he does and everything that he says, he receives from God. And we're going to see that the prophecy from Isaiah connects to this perfectly in explanation of 
what is going on. Continue down in Luke chapter 4 to verse 14. It says, then Jesus, this is after the temptation, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And we say, well, why does God the Son need God the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because he came, emptied the Son of Man to obey the Father in order to not only save us, but be our example as well. Makes so much sense. It's to our benefit that he goes away. We're like, what? See, what? I wish you were still here. Well, why? Because upon his ascension, upon his sitting down at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit is sent. Now, that's, that's intimacy beyond what we could have known if Jesus was here in bodily form, isn't it? God is dwelling inside of his people, not just beside his people, as Jesus did when he was on the earth with his disciples. So Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, right? And then we see Isaiah's messianic prophecy in verses 16 um, to 21, where he came to Nazareth, uh, he sits down. Um, Well, he stands when he reads the prophet Isaiah, then he sits down to teach. But here's what he does when he opens the scroll. He reads this from Isaiah, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verses 18 and 19, this is Jesus' mission of witness. This is the martyrdom of Jesus. And he says, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus speaks, he lives, John 12, John 5, all for, all from the Father through the Holy Spirit. The ministry of our Lord was accomplished because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, look what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means. Anointed one. Chosen one. And it describes his ministry. We should never look at the life or the example of Christ and his obedience to the Father, and think something like, good night, Jesus is God, I can't follow him like that. In his humanity, we know this, his divinity was not diminished at all. On the contrary to thinking such a hopeless thought, we should know that the very divine plan of the Godhead, three in one, was for the God-man to actually and practically be our Example, we are to love as he loved, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We are to live as he lived, 1 John 2, 6. And we are to also die as he calls us to. If anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this is all 
That, those three things of martyrdom, of witnessing, are all by the Spirit of the Lord being upon us. The language is the same. Remember from Acts chapter 1? When Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, when he promises the promise of the Father. You know, in verse 5, he says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But then look at verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That sounds familiar. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Would we like to be used of God now in order that the gospel is preached to the poor? In order that the brokenhearted might be healed? That we might proclaim liberty to those who are captive? Would we like the blind to receive their sight by the hand of God through the body of Christ today? Would we like those who are oppressed to be liberated? Would we proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord? Well, not many days from now, and I'm bringing back us back to Acts chapter 1, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you might be my martyrs in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus was his father's martyr, so too we are to be his witnesses of him here now. How? By walking in the Spirit. By not quenching the Spirit. We are to be his witness, his martyr, because with our Lord, we think things like first John two, six, John, you're out of your mind. Walk like Jesus walked with our Lord. We can say the spirit of our Lord is upon us. Is that not freedom? Is that not power to obey and follow his example. Let's pray. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be witnesses of you. Lord, I pray that that we would not walk in the flesh, that we would walk in the Spirit, and that we would love as you love. That we would live as you gave us life to live. All by your power and grace. Knowing indeed that it is not of us, but all of you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Let that be our everything. So that we might please you. So that you might say of us that we are your children in whom you are well pleased because we are in Christ. The one ascended on our behalf, seated on our behalf, the one who sent the Holy Spirit for us.
In your name we pray. Amen.